For tuning in to the 357th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lang, as always. Whoever you are, whoever you be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iRadio, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast and platform you may be listening to me via. Being recorded from Buffalo, New York, as always. Gonna have a great pod for all you guys. Gonna have. Reese Ryder, first time ever guest on the show. We talk a lot of Bengals football. We talk about the AFC North, the rivalries there with the Bengals, the Browns, the Steelers, the Ravens. Also talk about Joe Burrow uh, coming up in high school and college. Uh, also talked about uh, Marvin Lewis, the Carson Palmer, Chad Ochocinco, to Andy Dalton, A.J. Green era Bengals. So really fun and interesting conversation. Really enjoyed him on the show. But before we get to that conversation, I want to give my shameless plug. First time listener, subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc., Check on the descriptions below so you can see the timestamps and go to whichever part of the podcast you prefer to listen to. Uh, I do it for your convenience. Specifically on Spotify, if you click on the timestamp, it will go right to that part. Now, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Daryl Lane. I post three to five minute clips of this podcast right here as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop. Also, follow me on Twitter, at NightTrain underscore Lane. I'll say it again, at NightTrain underscore Lane. And lastly... If you have Apple or if you have iTunes, then give me five stars and a great review. And for some odd reason, right, if you don't like the podcast, let's say you hate it. Then don't say anything because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Now I want to get into one of my monologues that my friend Kenny Sim loved so much. If you watch Monday Night Football... You saw the San Francisco 49ers put a butt whooping on the Los Angeles Rams. The LA Rams have lost two straight, and now some people are saying there's trouble in paradise. Odell's not going to work. Von Miller, you can't have so many stars together. But that's not my concern with the LA Rams. Now, yes, it's a little concerning. You have two straight national stage games. Sunday Night Football against the Titans without Derrick Henry, you get blown out. Then you raise it up another one with a reeling San Francisco 49ers team that had just lost to an Arizona Cardinals team with Colt McCoy. Yes, folks, Colt McCoy. We haven't heard that name since Texas back in 09. They lost to Colt McCoy-led Arizona Cardinals and got blown out and kind of got shredded by them. So the Niners were reeling, and then the Niners put a whooping on the Rams. So that's not a good thing for the Rams, and they're going to have a bye week, and if they can't rectify that after the bye week, then there can be some other concerns. But right now, that's not my biggest concern. The biggest concern here is this. With another loss, they're now 7-3. and three. Now you might be like, oh, Daryl, what's the, the record matter? Yes, they're shooing for the playoffs. But with the NFC West, right, the second team in the NFC West is going to be the fifth seed. Now, I think it's safe to say after all this time, we can assume that the one uh, seed in the NFC West is going to be uh, the Arizona Cardinals, the team that finishes first place in that division. The second place team, which will be... Uh, 80% sure it's going to be the Rams at this point. 
they would be the fifth seed. That means that opening day, wild card weekend, the Rams are going to have to go on the road and face either the Cardinals, the Dallas Cowboys, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or the Green Bay Packers. The NFC has five elite teams. You could argue that the Rams, the Cardinals, the Packers, the Cowboys, and the Buccaneers are the five best teams in the NFL, regardless of division and conference. And I think you'd have a pretty strong argument if you were to say that. So now the Rams are in a position where pick your choice. You want to open up against Brady and the defending champion Buccaneers? You want to open up against Dak Prescott and this loaded Dallas Cowboys offense with a good offensive line, good running backs, good receivers, and a very good defense? Or wait, you want to face the Cardinals again in the division with Kyler Murray, who's having an MVP season? Oh, wait. Oh, the reigning MVP from last year, Aaron freaking Rodgers. And the Packers, they've just dominated the Seattle Seahawks, blanked Russell Wilson, gave Patrick Mahomes fits, and they're rounding into form. Which one you want? There's no good option. It's like asking somebody, would you rather drown to death or getting stabbed to death? Neither. Neither, folks, is a very good way to go. It just isn't. You always want the road, the easiest road, the safest road. When you're traveling and you're going on a trip. You want to go through the road where, you know, people aren't getting mugged, right? Let's say if there's an area you're driving through a bad area. Probably don't stop at that gas station. Everybody knows we're on that road trip. There's that one gas station that you don't stop at. You just keep moving because it's sketch. Right? How about we don't travel in the mountains in the winter? Maybe that's not the best thing in the world to do. You know, when you have to be somewhere, how about you don't walk at 3 a.m.? You take the Uber, right? You do things that are precautionary. Not because anything will happen. The worst case scenario will happen. I would assume that it wouldn't happen, right? You should assume that the worst case scenario shouldn't happen. But it's just being safe. Having all your ducks in a row. You want the easiest road in the playoffs. Whoever is the one seed, the one seed is going to get a bye. So they're going to be out of this conversation. The two, the three, the two and the three seed are either going to get these middling NFC teams, the Carolina Panthers, who just got Cam Newton off the streets, the New Orleans Saints, who have were switching between Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon, the Minnesota Vikings are in the mix, the Chicago Bears, all these mediocre NFC teams at the 6th and 7th line in terms of seeding. The 2 and 3 seed are going to get. That's an easy, in-the-bag, round 1 matchup. And then you go to round 2, and then you know you're going to have to face some good teams. But why start right away facing a really good team? Why do that? Why make it hard? Why walk through the eye of the storm? It's not like you can't do it, but it's no fun. It's not the smartest way to do things. So that's all I'm saying. My biggest concern with the Rams, opening day wildcard weekend, they're going to face a really, really good team that can beat them. And the two and the three seed are going to face two bad teams that can't. And they're going to move on to play for another week, another day, survive for another time, right? Advance and survive. It makes it harder to advance and survive when you're in that dogfight right away. Now, coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Reese Ryder on the show to talk some Bengals. Coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk.
Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Reese Ryder, his first time on the pod. How you doing, Reese? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today, Daryl. Glad to be here. So, first, I want to ask you this, since you're a Bengals fan, how would you picture, how did you picture the season going for the Bengals to begin the year, and now that we're here, we're about week nine of the NFL season, are you where you thought you'd be? Um, five and four, if you would have told me that at the beginning of the year, going into the bye, I probably would have said that sounds about right. Obviously, going into the year, they have high expectations. You come in with the fifth overall draft pick, Jamar Chase. You got the number one overall draft pick the year before, Joe Burrow. Things are starting to look up. You get your second-round lineman. Obviously, the defense comes in with question marks, but I think teeter-tottering with a 500 season, you know, obviously we can't do 500 anymore with the 17-game schedule. But, you know, 8-9, and 9-8, nine, nine and eight, that sounded pretty realistic. And, uh, honestly, after the hot start, going into a bye week at 0-2 with losses to the Jets and not just a loss to the Browns, but an absolute domination by the Cleveland Browns at home is not where you want to be at after a 5-2 and two start. You're looking at 5-4. and four. Bottom of the AFC North. Two weeks ago, you're at the top of the AFC North. So that downward decline is not where you want to be after you start the season. But overall, I probably would have taken five, five and four, nine out of ten times, honestly. So here's also what I want to ask you, and it's this. Do you think, why, why do you think that maybe uh, they had that skid where they lose the Jets and then they get shellaxed by the Browns? Because you would think, you know, after they start having the season, they did in there. They beat the Steelers, right? They're really competitive with Green Bay, and everybody's talking about how good Green Bay is going to be. Why do you think that skit happens where they lose? And by the way, with the Jets, they had Mike White. Mike White threw for like 400 yards. That's not supposed to happen when you want to be that team that gets in the playoffs. Why do you think that skit happened? Do you think it's because the Bengals are more pretenders than contenders? Yeah, I would. I would say that definitely factors into it. I think it starts the defense. You got a ranking top 10 defense coming into week weeks uh week yeah week seven against the uh the jets um the defensive schemes are just not working we can't produce any pass rush we have trey hendrickson who's played phenomenal absolute force coming off of the edge but overall he's the only one you know sam hubbard is there i wouldn't say strictly to protect the run but he's not generating the pass rush that you need him to to consistently get to the quarterback and that secondary is really bad. We signed Trey Waynes for, what, a three-year deal, $54 million. He's played two games for us. We're down to Eli Apple and Vernon Hargraves facing the Raiders at Vegas. Those are going to be our number three and number four corners. Talking about your number two being a slot specialist, Mike Hilton, fresh off the signing from Pittsburgh. That defense needs to step it up. Lou Anarumo, defensive coordinator, not been creative. And obviously the line. Take a look at the line. It's not where it needs to be. Nobody thought it was going to be great. Held up pretty well. We didn't allow any sacks against Pittsburgh. But you're talking about a team without T.J. Watt. And let me tell you, that guy single-handedly wins games on defense. I've never seen a player put a team on his back like that on the defensive side of the ball. Talking about a premier pass rusher. So even without him out, to come out of that game with no sacks for a team who had had sacks in, I think, an NFL record, 80-some games, that's pretty impressive. But now you're starting to see the wear and tear and lack of depth, especially on the interior offensive line. Zach Teeler opting to go with 
Akeem Adenji, second-year player out of Kansas over rookie guard Jackson Carmen. Graded a, I believe, a 47 Adenji did. And that is just not a good decision. It starts with coaching, defense, and the offensive line. But we're not making adjustments when we need to make adjustments. So, you know, forwarding and looking into the season now as we get towards the home stretch in the second half of the season, AFC North, you have the Ravens, you have the Steelers, you have the Browns. Where do the Bengals fall in that hierarchy right now for you? I would imagine right now after the throttle from uh, Cleveland and the way we played against Pittsburgh, I've got to put us number three. The Ravens have lost two games. Yes, we did beat them. We beat them pretty badly, and we beat them at home. But they're a team that knows how to bounce back. They're a very well-coached team. They play good offense. They have an insanely talented dual-threaded quarterback that's going to factor in. And you can't rank them above the Browns after what we saw last week. I think Pittsburgh has won a lot of ugly games. I do not think Pittsburgh is that great, but they're extremely well-coached. They're going to hang in. Just when you think Pittsburgh is going to have a bad year, they're going to show out, and they're going to end up being competitive and they're going to end up with a winning record so we're going to have to battle it out with pittsburgh win more divisional games we're 2-0 and coming into that browns game in the division it's a big loss it's a big loss and the browns are just going to keep getting healthier losing obj is going to do them wonders you saw what it did two days ago it was absolutely massive big for the locker room and i just think the Bengals are going to have to remain competitive and it's going to be hard in that division uh with those caliber of teams and we've got to play everybody one more time. We've got Pittsburgh again, we've got Baltimore again, we've got Cleveland again, and we're just going to remain beating each other up, and that's what happens in the AFC North. I think we have a harder schedule than anybody in the NFL, not the Bengals personally, but just the AFC North teams having to play each other twice a year. That's that's going through the gauntlet, man. Is the AFC North the toughest division in football for you? I would say so. I mean, the worst team, like standing-wise, is 5-4. and four. You've got what? You have 6-2. and two. You have five and four, four and four, five and four, five and four, five and three, and six and two, I believe, starting with the Ravens at the top. So it's hard to argue that there's a more competitive division. There's definitely not in my mind. Toughest division? It probably is. A lot of people talk about the NFC West. Well, where are the Seahawks and the 49ers this year? Those are three-win football teams. The NFC might have better teams at the top, but through and through, there are, there's not a division with four more competitive teams so if we're going to talk about this because i think this is interesting in the afc north in terms of rivalries what would you say the Bengals' biggest rival is in the division like as a Bengals fan who do you really get up for you're like okay it's go time i would it's it's got to be pittsburgh you know there's a lot of history there i think historically they've obviously been the better team they got wins that I will never be able to get over against us in you know, the 2015 wildcard game. That's that's tough, man. That is really tough. I think the hatred goes pretty mutual. Obviously, Pittsburgh will like to overlook us because they've got that rivalry with Baltimore. We haven't really established quite a quite the rivalry that Pittsburgh has with Baltimore. Obviously, Baltimore having you know Super Bowl contending teams, players like Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, you're going up against. Ben in his prime, uh, Heinz Ward, you've got different players like that. The Bengals just haven't quite got it all together and got players of that caliber. But at the end of the day, I think the, the hatred for Pittsburgh and the Pittsburgh Steelers runs pretty deep in Cincinnati. And, you know, even when we're a, we're a one-win team last year, or a three-win team, I think we're a three-win team coming into Monday Night Football, you're not going to see a team get amped up 
with a third-string quarterback like that very often. You go and play Pittsburgh, you beat him with Ryan Finley. That was uh, one. Of the, that was that was the game of the year last year. You're talking about a team that won, you know, four games, four or five games, and to do that, and that's that win alone, like paid for the season. Absolutely, that wouldn't have been the same against Baltimore. Wouldn't have been the same. Been the same against Cleveland. I just think there's there's something different about wanting to beat Pittsburgh and that, that hatred with Cincinnati. It runs pretty deep. It might not be mutual. I know Pittsburgh doesn't like us. They uh they they underlook us. They undervalue us, and it's hard to argue that they shouldn't just because they've historically dominated us. But they keep us hungry. We always want to beat Pittsburgh, and we always want to play up to our competition. Who would you say is the second team you hate most then, in the North? That's that's pretty tough. I would say the consensus of Bengals fans is the Browns. I just think. The Bengals and the Ravens, like, the location's not as close. We have an in-state rivalry with, with the Browns. Like, it definitely makes sense. Browns fans can be, eh, they can be a little, you know, they can be brash at times, I think. I think they get uh, they get, they get really optimistic, and they should. Everyone should be excited about their fan base. But you're talking about a team that's had, that has Super Bowl expectations, and they've been at the bottom of the league since, you know, their re-existence, I should say, when they came back in in the 90s. And, um... They just um, they don't really mesh well with Bengals fans, but uh, they're still a good team, and I respect them a little bit more than the Ravens. But I'm pretty biased just because uh, I have a lot of friends in the area that are Browns fans. The Browns suffered for a very long time, uh, so I think it's only right that they get their wins when credits due. And I think last Sunday, as we saw, they outplayed us, they outcoached us, they deserve to win it hands down. Um, I got more more respect for a team like that. I think. Um, so I'm not really going to put them on my personal list of teams that I dislike. I personally dislike the Ravens a little bit more, but in terms of the sheer overall rivalry, I would say that the general consensus is the Bengals fans are, are going to want to beat the Browns a little bit more than they're going to want to beat the Ravens. But obviously all divisional opponents, all AFC North teams, all big, big teams, big games, you, you're going to want to win all those and you're not going to, you're not going to like any of those teams. What's the most optimistic thing you've ever heard a Browns fan say? We're gonna win the Super Bowl. That's pretty optimistic. That's, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. as optimistic as it gets. That's, you, you, that's maxing out. You, you hear that a lot? Wait, wait. So are we talking about Browns fans were saying that during the Hugh Jackson era, or are we talking about Dude, Browns fans are saying that now? Yeah, definitely. They definitely are now. They uh, they've had a lot to cheer for. I think in the past a lot more than people think. They had uh, one of the greatest left tackles of all time, Joe Thomas, never missed a snap, started every game. But you're talking about a guy who's on, you know, 0 and 16, 1 and 15 caliber teams. It's hard to hard to cheer, but you have to, you know, give credit when credits due. They had Josh Gordon led the league in receiving yards one year. Um, was on pace to, to break crazy records. He had a phenomenal year, and that was something to give them, you know, things to cheer about. But when you have that the turnaround where you're getting top five picks and you're actually using them, I would say entirely correctly. Do I think Baker Mayfield? Was a great number one overall pick? No, I don't. But Miles Garrett, dividends are starting to pay. When you have all these top picks and you have draft capital, you know, you're going to put players in the field and look at them now. They had every right to have Super Bowl aspirations, in my opinion. They had a pretty good defense on paper. Their offense, they were loaded with weapons. They've got an amazing offensive line. They've got two of the best running backs in the league on the same team. Easily the best running back duo in the league on the field at the same time when they're both healthy. So I, I, I don't blame them for 
having Super all Super Bowl aspirations because like at the end of the day, isn't that the goal? Why are you Why are you playing football if you're not chasing championships? Whether it be this year, next year, you know, you're always looking at big picture. At the end of the day, you're you're chasing rings. That's what it's all about. You're trying to build a legacy. Best QB in the state of Ohio right now. It's not even close. It's Joe Burrow. I don't care if he's second, second tied for first and, and picks, whatever. Baker Mayfield is a game manager. Uh, I, I'm not going to sit here and bash the guy, but he is what he is. He's an average quarterback. He does what he's supposed to. He can run play action. He hinders off the run game. I mean, you have Joe Burrow, that offensive line, and those running backs, not discrediting Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon's fantastic. And I, I guarantee you he would do just as good as is Chubb and Hunt behind that line. There's not a doubt in my mind, but put Joe Burrow behind that offensive line and just let him dot you up. He got hit, I don't even know how many times last week against the Browns. He was on his back every play. Do you see Baker take hits like that? Sometimes. I know he's dealing with the shoulder issue, but my goodness, Joe Burrow is extremely accurate. That doesn't necessarily reflect his interceptions. I think he's had some bad reads, and he's a young quarterback. Baker's been in the league a bit longer. Baker's got a better head coach who designs plays for him, who protects them, who builds people around them. If we're talking about one-on-one who's better, that's it's Joe Burrow, yeah. and it's not even close. I also think the picks are because, you know, Bur- Burrow, he's more aggressive. He's more aggressive down the field than Baker is. They don't, you know. He definitely is. He, he's not afraid to take shots, which I can appreciate. Now that he's got a new toy, Jamar Chase, he's going to want to, you know, look for that deep ball, and that's something that was missing part of our offense. It was non-existent last year. We were absolutely horrid in that area. Jamar Chase comes in as a complete game changer. There's no doubt about it. So, would you say Burrow then is the best quarterback in the North? I would say that he's close, but based on what Lamar Jackson has been able to accomplish and the fact that he scares everybody he plays, not saying that Joe Burrow doesn't. Uh, The line has a lot to do with it again, but Lamar Jackson has done it longer. He has an MVP in his belt. It would be almost unfair to rank Joe Burrow ahead of Lamar Jackson, but I think Joe Burrow has potential. They're both young. I think they're the same age. I believe they're both 25 or at least close to it. One might be 26. Um, so Joe Burrow had more of a, a college experience. He had five years of college under his belt, you know, three at Ohio State, LSU for two, doing uh, finishing up his grad school there. Lamar Jackson going to the draft after three years at UofL, coming into the league younger, been around the game a little bit more and the athleticism and the legs on Lamar Jackson are always going to be a factor. He is unbelievable with the ball in his hands. It's an absolute two-way threat and obviously you've got slight mobility concerns with Burrow. He's not going to be running draws like he did last year. He had a few uh, touchdowns on draws last year. They're going to want to try to protect him. That's the goal, but he can still move in the pocket. I think he's a better pure passer. He's better in the pocket. He moves in the pocket better Lamar obviously can escape and scramble a lot better, but I think Burrow knows how to step up, and I don't think he's afraid to take hits, but it might just be because he's way too used to him, and that's a problem. Yeah, Joe's as tough as they come, though. Joe's as tough as they come. So it sounds like what you're saying is you think Lamar and Joe are almost in their own tier, so you think Baker is not even on their same, and not even the same class as those guys. No, definitely not. Baker's got, what, eight touchdowns this year? <laughs> I think coming into the week... If Mike White had a second touchdown pass in that Thursday night game before he went out, he would have been tied with would have been with six touchdowns on the year with Baker Mayfield. I think Baker had two, two on Sunday maybe, maybe just one. 
But yeah, Mike White needed one more, and he would have tied. And maybe that's <laughs> that he would have tied Baker Mayfield, and maybe that's a knock on our defense, and it definitely is. But I mean, like, are you kidding me? Mike White had a chance to tie Baker Mayfield in season touchdown passes in two games, and that not saying it's a problem because look at what the Browns' offense does; they're meant to run the football. But I'm not comparing not comparing Baker Mayfield to to Mike White by any means or anything. But Baker Mayfield is a game manager. He will make throws if he absolutely has to. And he enters off the play-action game. He's fine. He's average. He's salvageable. He's not a bad quarterback. He's not going to make extremely you know, game-breaking uh, decisions. But I also don't think he's going to march down the field, put the team on his back, and win it single-handedly. And I think that's something that Joe Burrow has shown to do, that he can go toe-to-toe despite having the weapons around him, not necessarily the weapons, but the offensive line and the coaching and the defensive support that Baker Mayfield's had since he came into the league. Where would you put Ben in there? So all the AFC North quarterbacks. Has Ben had a Baker for you? No, not right now. Absolutely not. Ben's 39 years old. He's he's just doing what he can, really. <laughs> I mean, he, he makes some nice throws. He's doing what he can offense, with what so. he has, and he doesn't have that much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean if, when I get to be 39 years old, if I can still play in the NFL, like that, that's an accomplishment. Obviously, don't play in the NFL. Obviously, I'm not 39 years old. So, good for Ben. Like, he obviously loves it. If he didn't, he wouldn't be doing it. Uh, he's not trying to be Brady. I think he's doing his own thing. Brady's on a whole different level. What is he now? Like, 45. That's absolutely unheard of. But the thing is with Ben, you know, his offseason consists of Miller Lite and golf. And I think, uh, I think Joe Burrow, uh, you know, dealing with, you know, different, uh, different circumstances and facing adversity having to get over an injury things like that like just more prepared Ben is way beyond that point in his career he's 39 years old he has two Super Bowls he's a Hall of Fame quarterback I don't think he has anything left that he needs to prove and it definitely shows but he likes to play the game you know he's still going to make some reads but he uh he's seen better days I think it's almost unfair to put him up there with three quarterbacks under the age of 28 so so let's do this. Let's take a break and then kind of next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we can get a little bit more into Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase because I definitely want to talk to you about that. Kind of next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. With Barbershop Sports Talk, we still have Reese Ryder with us. So, Reese, Joe Burrow, when he gets drafted, how much hope did you have for the Bengals when he got drafted? Were you like immediately, like after what he did at LSU, like this is the guy? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm from Athens, Ohio. I've watched him in high school. I, I didn't go to Athens High School, but uh, I grew up, you know, pretty close with him. I uh, I know his parents. I think uh, it's something that the entire community like rallied around. We know how we know how good he was for a long time. At first, uh, one thing I'll say that I probably shouldn't have said about him is I questioned his move to Ohio State, thinking, "Oh, why doesn't he go to OU, Ohio University, right here in Athens? Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he play there and get a chance to actually play?" Because I know how Ohio State is and how competitive they are in terms of picking quarterbacks and everything. But it was it was a little surreal to see him go on a uh, undefeated national championship Heisman winning you know, absolute 
domination of a season. And then for the first uh, number one overall pick to just kind of fall in our laps, it was the beginning of an era, in my opinion. You know, Zach Taylor didn't have a lot to work with his first year. He finally gets to draft the guy that he wants. And it's just this crazy new era um, where I get to say, like, that kid from Athens High School in Athens, Ohio is the quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals coming off a Heisman championship winning season. And uh, I don't know how that couldn't give you hope. It's He's got a demeanor. He's got a moxie. He's got a poise that, that we've never had. You know, Carson, Carson didn't want to play here. He didn't act like it. He never never cared that much. He did a lot for us, and I think he had some good years. But he didn't compose himself. And Andy Dalton, he, he was a great leader, in my opinion. I think he was a fine quarterback, but he didn't have the intangibles, and he didn't have the skills that Joe Burrow had. It's just something that we haven't seen since Ken Anderson and Boomer, that type of quarterback, that type of player, and I think that's what he could be for us. So this is interesting. So when growing up in the same area as Joe Burrow, did you ever think he'd be this good, like he'd be where he is right now? It was kind of hard to, to think of that, but we know how good he was. We definitely do. He uh, was Ohio Mr. Football, he was, which is given to the best player in the state across all divisions. So Ohio, has, Ohio High School has seven divisions, one being the, the biggest, seven being the smallest. Um, and it's really competitive. We have tons and tons and tons of high schools, and Ohio high school football is, I would say, top five in the country for competitiveness and the athletes that we breed, things like that. It's it's very prominent. People really love their high school football, and you could just tell how special he was at Athens High School. Just put on a clinic in the, uh, it was the TVC Ohio, that was the conference that he played in, or two divisions, the, the Ohio and the Hawking, the Hawking being the smaller schools. I played for one of the the Hawking school, so we never got to play bigger teams like Athens High School, and they're uh, they're actually like a Division three school, which is which is pretty big, you know, being in the area. But um, you definitely knew he was going to be special. You knew he was going to be good. But when I actually watch him play on the field Sunday, I say it every Sunday, like Joe Burrow is our quarterback. It's freaking unbelievable, and it, it really is. But uh, as far as the talent went, I don't think everyone ever denied that. He just he fought really hard. He practiced. He worked super hard. And he put himself in that position. He um, he really wanted it. It's definitely paid off for him, and it's starting to show. So you mentioned you're kind of like, why didn't he go to Athens and go to uh, OU? Which is actually interesting. Probably would have started all four years. He goes to Ohio State, obviously, right? Ohio State's like Alabama. They're like Oklahoma. They're like Clemson. Like no job is given there as good of a good of a five star. You might be another five stars coming. It's like Jalen Hurts to attack of low and Mac Jones. At one point, all three of those guys were on the same team. They're all stars in the NFL right now. Right. So he go, he's going to that type of program. Did you ever think like, Oh, you know, maybe it's not going to work out for Joe or you kind of like, how are you kind of feeling about all that? If you watch his spring games from, so he was, he would have been a redshirt freshman, but sophomore, his sophomore year and junior year undergrad at Ohio state, he outplayed every quarterback on the field in the spring games. His junior year, uh, he's fighting for that starting job against Dwayne Haskins. He breaks his hand. He's out for eight weeks. That goes right to Haskins. If he had, if he doesn't break his hand, it would be very hard for me to believe he's not the starting quarterback that year. And I think Ohio State missed out on a huge opportunity because obviously LSU had all that talent on the field. You're seeing, you know, Justin Jefferson. You got obviously Jamar Chase. You got all these amazing athletes that LSU had, but I think Ohio State, in terms of the athletes that they have, were just as good. And you put a quarterback like that around them, then it's hard to tell what would have happened. Maybe you're talking about Joe Burrow winning the Heisman at Ohio State. 
because he's the same quarterback and he would have had you know two years under his belt junior year senior year um but i'm glad it worked out the way it did he got a chance to to kind of go somewhere new and be out of the state of ohio and i think it it really helped his image and his publicity and really grew him and it was uh, it was great for him i know his dad uh longtime defensive coordinator at ohio university at ohio university for the bobcats he uh he actually retired so he could watch Joe his senior year at LSU because he, he knew it was going to be special. And I'm sure, uh, very certain that uh, that Jimmy Burrow uh, was glad he made that decision. Yeah, and it's really interesting about Joe because he had one of the craziest transformations I've ever seen. So he goes from that first year now, because people forget, as good as the last year was, the first year... I think he was like 16 touchdowns with four interceptions. I mean, SEC football, SEC West, right, with Alabama, Auburn, all those teams. Like, he looked like a average college quarterback, right? That's fair. Average college quarterback. Probably not going to go to the NFL, but just a really good college quarterback. Is that fair? Yeah, his first year, you can definitely tell that uh, he had some progression to make. He definitely did. If you watched a lot of LSU games, I think his wide receivers weren't really coming into their own that year. I think there were a lot of drops. Obviously, I'm not going to blame it all on the drops, uh, but the team really didn't develop and turn into that overall team and get behind Joe Burrow until that next year, until they really saw the potential. It's kind of like uh, the Bengals last year in his rookie year. The team uh, has a lot of holes to fill. Obviously, in the NFL, it's a longer process. You're not getting guys in as quick. You have you know, only seven draft picks you can make each year. Um, but the, the progression was definitely there. I think he got better from his sophomore year to his junior year at Ohio State. Um, to his, I guess it would have been his, his redshirt junior year at LSU, and then going into senior year, we saw you know kind of how all that that hard work and all the talent surrounded him, and how they rallied around him, and how they were able to put the whole thing together. And I think it definitely started with him, and it ended with him. They they put it all together, and it resulted in what we all witnessed. Because the senior year at LSU, I guess well, the crazy thing to me about the whole thing is just the gap, like. You go from playing, like, let's say, or maybe above average, whatever you want to call it, to, like, literally he's the best quarterback in college football, and we're talking about guys that are playing that year. Kyler Murray, first-rounder, special. Trevor Lawrence, people are saying he's the best QB prospect ever. People were singing to attack Valoa's praises. Well, that's all another story now in the pros. But there's so many good quarterbacks, everybody's like, Joe Burrow is the Heisman, he's the best quarterback in college football. He goes, like, that is such a massive gap. That's almost like he's not even the same human. Yeah, he put together the uh, most successful college football season in history. A lot of people are going to say, you know, last year, the 2020 Alabama team, obviously weird year, not to discredit that. But uh, to just win and dominate the way that LSU did that year is pretty remarkable. Obviously, he had the weapons. You talk about Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and um, uh, Terrace Marshall. Can't forget about him. You got thrown to those three guys. That definitely helps. I don't think he ended off of them. I think it was just one whole unit. And he got a, a chance to shine, be himself, and be the accurate uh, gunslinging quarterback that he could be there, put himself in that su- position to succeed, and, uh, you know, just ultimately capitalize on all the opportunities that, not that he was given, uh, that he worked for. You know, he put himself in that position, surrounded himself there. He made the decision to go down there, link up with Joe Brady. You know, I'd, I'd love to see Joe Brady come to Cincinnati. You know, I'm not going to lie, recreate some of that magic. We've already got. You know, two of the uh, two of the foundations, two of the cornerstones. I'd like to just keep on adding to it. How would you feel if, for some reason, they ended up getting uh, Joe Brady in there, and then they made a trade for Justin Jefferson? They're like, let's run this back. Yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be 
pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, uh, don't, don't know if that would ever happen. But uh, I certainly wouldn't complain. I will tell you that much. Uh, I don't know how you couldn't. I mean, that's a, what, what they were they win, like 15 and 0, 15 and 0. I think they played 15 games, 16 games. They go undefeated. They, they do what they do. I mean, I, I think anybody would be lining up to have that. Not, not just a duo, not just a trio, but to have, you know, four of those guys. And obviously, you can't recreate that in college, but I think all those players were great NFL prospects. Burrow is a top prospect. Chase is a top prospect. Jefferson's a top prospect. And Joe Brady played himself into the NFL. You know, it, it wasn't just a gimmick. It wasn't just a fluke year. You don't luck your way into winning 16 football games. It just doesn't happen. I, I just don't know how you could not be excited about that. Yeah. That would be absolutely ridiculous. They blow out every team that year besides that one game against Alabama. And they went into Alabama, which is not something a lot of people do. A lot of people don't beat Nick Saban uh, on the road like that. Uh, what do you think makes Joe Burrow special? There's a couple qualities that you can boil it down to. What do you think makes him special? Just the way he composes himself and the way that he works hard, I think he gives the right responses. I think a lot of people say he's kind of cocky, but I don't think it's cocky. I just think it's confidence. He's extremely confident in his own abilities. He knows what he can do. He knows what he should do. I'm not saying that always reflects on him making you know the best reads and the best decisions and the best throws, but he knows how to compose himself, and people just want to rally around him. He's just a natural leader. He always has been. Born to play the quarterback position. You know, he grew up in a football family. Dad's a head coach. Dad worked in uh, Nebraska. Brothers played football in Nebraska. He's just been around it. He just uh, composed himself like a veteran. You know, he's a second-year guy, and he wasn't uh, wasn't a really young rookie. You know, he's got uh, a lot more experience being around the game than a lot of people probably know, and I think that's starting to take shape. And he's only going to keep soaking it all in. You know, he's like a sponge. He's going to take all that knowledge and he's going to use it to his advantage. And he, he works so hard. He works to get better and better and better and better. He's faced adversity at Ohio State, not getting that starting job, breaking his wrist when he probably should have had it, having to go through the transfer portal. You know, not having the best season ever his uh, first year at LSU. And then, obviously, that big injury he had last year, that's something that nobody wants to go through. That was gut-wrenching to watch. It was absolutely terrible, not just as a Bengals fan or a Joe Burrow fan, but just as a, as a football fan, admiring the guy, admiring the guy's story, admiring where he came from. That's, uh, that's absolutely killer. But he's able to respond to that, and I don't think that a lot of people could have responded that the way he did and came back the next year and said, hey, we're going to win football games this year. Yes, they have. They don't look perfect, but you know, not all that's on him. He hasn't looked perfect. He hasn't looked. Um, he hasn't looked near as good as I know he can be, and I know that he will be. But you know, it'll all it'll all smooth out, and I think he's on the right track. Now with this, Burrow and Chase, how? When did you know that connection was going to be special? I think uh, a lot of people probably could have told you that just based on their report at. LSU. I mean, that connection was amazing. They would go after after the games, after practice, throw uh, throw extra balls, try to get better, work on that chemistry. Uh, I think that definitely factored in, taking him at the fifth overall pick. Yes, a lot of people said, oh, we need Sewell, we need Sewell, we need him so bad. And, you know, I, I don't think that was necessarily the case. We went out, we spent money on a, a right tackle, and we had Jonah Williams, so we took with the I think it was the seventh or eighth overall pick a few years back uh, from Alabama. He was the best offensive tackle in that draft class, and I think he's easily far and away been our best lineman this year. But as far as uh, Burrow and Chase go, that that connection was just meant to be special, you know. Those guys work hard. Jamar works hard. Um, they get in that extra time, and they're just really good friends. They, uh, they There's a lot more than just football there. 
Uh, they've been working with each other for three, four years, and I think they have a great friendship and a great bond. And it's just something you can't teach when you have that chemistry with someone. So you think they're genuinely close? Yeah, they definitely are. I think um, Chase and that wide receiver group are definitely a big reason, uh, along with Joe Brady and why he went to LSU. But if he didn't, if he didn't care about those guys and wasn't close with those guys, then that wouldn't have factored into his decision as much. And obviously, he's probably uh, he hasn't announced it publicly or to the media. But um, I can't imagine he wasn't, you know, barking at Zach Taylor, tripping up Mike Brown, saying, "We got to get this guy, man. This guy's a heck of a football player." He definitely is. He's definitely shown it. And uh, not only is he a good football player, he's a good guy. I think uh, I think he has a good friendship with them. It's uh, they genuinely have like a, a really really good relationship together, and it definitely translates uh, on the football field. Where would you rank Jamar Chase right now in terms of wide receivers? Because right now he's at having an unprecedented rookie season. He definitely is. I think he has the numbers to back it up. I don't think it's been the cleanest showcase ever. I think he's had some struggles the past two weeks. But, I mean, look at the whole team in general. Uh, the team's going to struggle. Individual players are obviously going to struggle. He probably had a touchdown pass this past week against the Browns that he probably could have caught. He had a deep ball that he probably could have caught. You know, he's going he's gonna to run into those issues. I think he's still a rookie at the end of the day, and he's a rookie wide receiver. And he didn't play last year. A lot of people forget about that we wanted to mention that in the preseason when he's you know dropping quote-unquote dropping everything and uh, I'm not saying that he didn't but you know he's going to put in that work and I think uh, he's put up really 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 good numbers for a rookie and a lot of it has to do with Burrow and that chemistry they have but I, I don't think you could ask a whole lot more other than what he's done he's been that spark that we've needed he's got multiple multiple touchdown passes over 20 yards i uh, don't believe we had a single touchdown pass over 20 yards last year if we did maybe one maybe two that was part of the offensive problem he comes in right away and he fixes that and gets that explosiveness back to that offense that we very much so needed is zach taylor a good coach no he's not <laughs> he's not a good football coach i do not think he is i don't think he makes adjustments i don't really think uh he, he utilizes Joe Mixon. I don't think he uses Tyler Boyd in ways he needs to. I don't think he surrounded himself with the best staff in the world. We uh, we brought Frank Pollock in this year, an offensive line coach. Uh, he was with us for a few years, um, I believe. Um, it's been two or three years since we had him, but the initial guy that he brought in, I, I believe his name was Paul Ale no. Alexander, something Alexander. Our last line coach was Trumpel. And Pollock has definitely showed, but his initial staff hires, Lou Anaruma, not doing great. Brian Callahan, I think he's a fine offensive coordinator. I think the play calling, Zach Taylor's the one who calls the plays, but I think some of the play designs are fine. Uh, but he's just not utilizing guys in the right ways. I don't think the team rallies behind him. I think it was uh, part of the McVay tree. He tried to go after people under Sean McVay. A lot of it's worked out, a lot of it hasn't. And um, I, I just don't don't really think he's going to be the guy to elevate the team. I don't think he's that bad, but he's not consistent, and that's part of being a good head coach. How consistent can you be? How good of a game plan can you draw up? How prepared can you get these guys? And they're a great locker room. I think whoever's going to be the head coach, they'll rally behind. I think uh, we have some great leaders in the locker room, C.J. Uzama, Jesse Bates, Joe Mixon. You know, those are obviously Joe Burrow. Those are guys that uh, are going to carry the team, and I think they have a lot more presence in that locker room than Zach Taylor does. And I don't think it should be that way. I think the head coach should have a tighter control over the room. 
And I don't think Zach Taylor has that, and I don't think he's shown that he can play with the big boys. So who are some guys you'd like in Cincinnati besides Zach Taylor? Ever? Have you thought about that at all? Say that again. Some coaches that you would like to be in Cincinnati besides Zach Taylor. Joe Brady, definitely. We talked about that. Bringing all those guys back would be unreal. And he's only got, this is his second season down there in Carolina. Uh, but I think, you know, what he was able to do with Sam Darnold early on and kind of hide those flaws, although temporarily, obviously, real, real Sam Darnold show, things like that. Um, but, you know, obviously, like, that's the number one target you think of. Um, it's not easy to just go out and pick a head coach. I think Eric Bieniemy, uh, ex-Bingles running back, uh, Chiefs offensive coordinator, um, believe that he should be a target. He's been on everybody's uh, head coaching list for a long time. Uh, the fact that he hasn't got a job doing what he's done with that offense. Obviously, Andy Reid, fantastic play caller. Fantastic football mind. He's got a lot to do with it. But Eric Bieniemy's right there. He's in Pat Mahomes' ear. He's got a Super Bowl ring. I think, uh, how could you not look at him? So with this, uh, will, will Zach Taylor, how much longer do you think he has in Cincinnati? Like, probably not going to get fired this year, I would assume, unless they go off the deep end. But how much longer do you think he'll be in Cincinnati? Unfortunately, honestly, I think... He'll last as long as he wants. Mike oh, way overstayed his welcome. Mike Brown is ninety years. He's ninety years old. He is very cheap. He's not a very innovative owner. It really starts at that, and it depends on if he's willing to kind of further pass that torch to his daughters. It's uh, I think it's his granddaughter, granddaughter Elizabeth, and his his daughter Katie. They uh, they've really been doing a lot more in the front office than Mike Brown has. I think Marvin Lewis was at one point the second highest tenured head coach in the NFL behind Bill Belichick uh, the year before he got fired. And this is when it's just long overdue. That guy couldn't bring in the right people. Yes, we had good teams, but we also had players that negatively impacted the locker room who had on-the-field issues. Obviously, 2015, the Vontez the Pac-Man Jones incident, everything like that, that didn't really translate. And instead of letting him go, we wait two years to fire him and finally move on. So what you saw was just this gap year after, you know, Andy Dalton and A.J. Green are starting to fall out of their prime. We don't really have a new head coach yet, and it's just kind of in free fall. And that, you cannot waste years like that in the NFL as a franchise. And um, unfortunately, I think until we, like, see some definitive front office changes, you know, people always talk about the Bengals being the only team without an indoor practice facility, things like that. Do I think it reflects how they play? Do I think it matters that much? Not as much as everybody says, but the tight-knit ownership and the lack of accountability in the front office is going to lead to coaches outstaying their welcome, just like we saw with Martin Lewis. I think they're going to be afraid to move on. They've never been a team to blame it on coaching. They like their guys. Um, it's just kind of the sad reality of it, and I hope Zach Taylor works out. I'd like to see him make the most of it, obviously. Want to win games, but is he the one that's going to do it? I don't know. Now, I want to go to this. The Marvin Lewis era in Cincinnati, if you were to describe it, what would you say? Bittersweet, but chaotic. <laughs> that's. I mean, we had good moments, we had bad moments, and it lasted a bit too long definitely lasted too long. I think he was there much longer than he needed to be. Um, right when things start looking up, you know, we, um, we start 8-0 in 2015. We uh, are the number one wild card seed. We get to host a playoff game. 
against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Andy Dalton did not play in that game. It was A.J. McCarron at the realms of the starting quarterback position. Uh, But we didn't lose that game because of A.J. McCarron. We didn't lose that game because players weren't executing. We lost that game because Marvin Lewis let let players make poor decisions. He didn't discipline them. We were highly penalized all throughout that year and every year under his tenure. We had a running back fumble the football. Um, that set up a game-winning drive that, that allowed players that were liabilities, although you know pretty good athletes and pretty good football players, it, it exposed their liabilities. And that starts the head coach not being able to contain that, not being able to correct those. It just was undisciplined football and ultimately cost us a game and a playoff win. And now we're still talking about this drought uh, that's lasted 20-plus years, almost 30 years since we won a playoff game. So Andy Dalton, how how's he remembered in Cincinnati? I think um, I think Andy Dalton and his wife Jordan did an absolute tremendous job for the city. Very charitable, uh, very clean cut. They were extremely giving. I think everything they've done for the city is going to be remembered um, as nothing but good. I think Andy Dalton was a good quarterback for us. We had a lot of great memories. He got to throw to one of the greatest Bengals uh, that's ever played, A.J. Green. Uh, the stats don't lie. He had a great career for us. Um, yeah, we couldn't get over that hump, um, but I'm not going to pin all that blame on Andy. It really starts that front office, the ownership, the coaching. Um, we had every position to succeed, but do I think we lost playoff games because of Andy Dalton? Not necessarily. I think uh, it wasn't the biggest in big moments. He was a second-round quarterback. And we drafted him as if he was a first-round, you know, high-quality starter. But I don't think he was ever the problem. I don't think we needed to, to look past that. We had good teams. It's just kind of, a, kind of bad luck, honestly. That has a lot to do with it, too. Uh, but it does start at the top. Having uh, bad ownership, and we don't even have a GM. That's the thing. We don't have someone who makes front office decisions. Whoever our head coach is pretty much serves as the GM at the same time. Uh, which is why Zach Taylor said, all right, we're going to spend money, which I really appreciated of him. You know, He's not afraid to, to sign people, and I think all of our free agent signings have been good. But um, I, I don't think I, I have anything bad to say about Andy Dalton. I think he was a, a great leader in the community. I think he did more charity work than a lot of people have ever done for the city. Um, I can't complain about him. Can't, can't at all. How about Carson Palmer? Yeah, he left us on a pretty bad note. <laughs> you know, he didn't want to be there. Southern California kid, you know, playing at USC. He's got the college legacy, number one overall pick. Uh, he wasn't happy. I can't say I necessarily blame him, but he just quit on us. He absolutely quit on us. Um, had some good seasons with him, but he wasn't having it, so we traded him. And that's the end of it. You know, it just uh, couldn't work out. We drove him out of the city, and again... It starts with Marvin Lewis being the only head coach that he played for and Mike Brown not willing to spend money in free agency, not bringing in the right guys. Carson made some good plays. He was a good quarterback. He was the number one overall pick for a reason. You know, Very uh, very talented guy, but when you give up on a city like that and you say, basically, I'm not going to play this year, perfectly healthy, he says, trade me, I'm done. It's kind of hard to uh, regain your respect for that. And, uh I will appreciate, you know, what he did for us. We were a competitive team with him. 
most years, I would say. He had a few down years, but every time we uh, we get a high pick, we take one of these static quarterbacks, you're going to put yourself in better position than you have been. you know. But, but to leave that way, it stings a little bit for your quarterback to just give up on you and say whatever. It's uh, disrespectful to the fans and didn't feel good. It did not feel good, but it is what it is. And uh, I'm glad that Joe's here now. And I just really hope that uh, we capitalize on it. How about Ocho Cinco? One of the most entertaining players to ever play in the league. Absolutely. Ocho Cinco, 85. One of my favorite memories of him kicking a extra point in a preseason game against the uh, New England Patriots, I believe. He's always entertaining. Uh, maybe the best footwork of any wide receiver of all time. And he uh, just never failed to put a smile on anybody's face. You paid the admission to go watch a mediocre Bengals team some years just because Chad was there. We had Chad and Terrell Owens on the same team, and Hard Knock said, you know, we're going to Cincinnati. <laughs> Not because they're good, because they got Chad and they got T.O. now. And, um, you know, if that's what it takes to get some publicity, sure. Uh, at the end of the day, we weren't running football games, and that's what mattered. But we didn't lose football games because of Chad Johnson. It was an absolute pleasure watching him play. Ocho is one of my favorite players of all time. He's still very involved in the Bengals and in the media. And uh, I'm just really glad that he'll always be remembered as a Bengal, one of the truly special players that I've ever got to watch. So is he a Hall of Famer for you? He should be in the Hall of Fame? Uh, I mean, I think so. Obviously, his longevity is how you get in the Hall. It's not you don't take somebody in there because they had, you know, six six years where he was the most talented player in the league. He might have. He might have been. He might have been extremely talented. I just don't. I don't think maybe he did it long enough. I think he deserves to be, you know, in consideration. I think. Uh, I think he should definitely be voted upon. I think the Hall of Fame has some stigma against the Bengals, though. Ken Riley is, I believe, he might. I gotta look this up actually. Um, Ken Riley, one of the greatest cornerbacks of all time, top five in interceptions of all time. Talk about longevity. If you're going to let people in for longevity, why is Ken Riley not in the Hall of Fame? Why is Ken Anderson not in the Hall of Fame? Why do we only have one Hall of Famer? They have some bias against us, and it's it's absolutely crazy. It is crazy. I do not uh, I do not say that with any bias. I really don't. I think the Hall of Fame hates the Bengals. They really, really do. <laughs> and um, you, you can't make it up. We have we have guys with with Hall of Fame tenure for sure, and they're not in. So I can't imagine they'll ever let a guy in like Ocho, especially, you know, with the fines and this and that. You know, the league has, you know, they don't have tolerance for that sort of thing. And it's fine, you know, whatever. Um, but there are more deserving players uh, that are Cincinnati Bengals that were career Cincinnati Bengals. Ken Riley, you know, playing from the late 60s up until the early 80s, you know, finishing with a number, a number of interceptions, 65 interceptions for his career, 65. And uh, not a Hall of Famer. So, which era was better? The Carson Palmer, Ochocinco era, or the Andy Dalton, A.J. Green era? It was probably, you know, growing up, first getting introduced to the game. Um, you know, for, like, Chad sold jerseys, he sold tickets, and that's something that I think uh, I'll always remember. I think it was more entertaining football teams. I think we had, you know, really, really extroverted guys who made you want to go to the games and get involved. I think, um, I mean this in the nicest way possible, but Andy and AJ, I think between the gaps between Carson and Ocho, Andy and AJ, 
and now Joe and Jamar are going to be the, unfortunately, the forgettable era. Because when you look at it, they didn't get the job done. There are no playoff wins. Um, obviously, Carson, Ocho, they didn't have a playoff win either. Um, but there was just that, that factor of them always being entertaining. You know, AJ and Andy were a lot different, a lot different. They were quiet. They kept their mouth shut, and they went to work, and they were extremely good at football. They were good football players, not denying that. But, um, you know, with that kind of gap, you go from number one overall pick, Carson Palmer, skip Andy and AJ, and you go to number one overall pick and number five overall pick, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. You know, who are you going to remember more? Who are you going to remember more? Joe Burrow uh, and Carson Palmer, or are you going to remember Andy Dalton more? So it sounds like the way you're, you're projecting this out, Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow is going to end up being number one. The close second is going to be Carcer Palmer and Ocho, and the forgotten men are going to be Andy and AJ. Unfortunately, yeah, I think uh, I think I think they all deserve credit. I think they're all good, and they've all done a lot for us. I think Andy's done more for the city, like I mentioned, you know, than than maybe any player that we've ever had. You know, and that's that's not to be you know understated. That's that's bigger than football. You know, some of the things he's done, you know, with charity and work and things like that. But as far as the nitty gritty goes, who's gonna who's gonna chase rings? Who's gonna put us in position for that? You know, is it crazy to even say like who's gonna chase rings? Because we're talking about the Bengals. <laughs> <laughs> like it's the sad reality of it. And you know, AJ and Andy at the end of the day, they, they couldn't get it done. I think Carson and Ocho, they they were special, but they couldn't get it done. Um, so I think it's time to to you know forget about the past and create our own future. You know, we control our own destiny. I think uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of you know bias and there's a lot of um, you know um, I can't think of the word. Uh, there's a lot of uh, stipulations about the Bengals. There's a lot of uh, things on their past that people are always going to look at. You know, tendencies and oh, it's the Bengals and you know things like that. A lot of a lot of generalities and things. Um, and I think it's it's time to enter in the new era and uh, finally own up to who we can truly be. And I think uh, I think Joe and Jamar are going to give us the best chance to succeed. So, Vonta's perfect. As a Bengals fan, you just already stated, you're not biased. Is he dirty? And if so, how dirty is he on a 1-10? to 10? Yeah, he's, he's pretty dirty. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not, uh, that's one jersey I own that, I, that I'm not. Not particularly proud to say that I owned, and I think I bought it because of the player he was, not the guy, not the guy that he was. Um, you know, it's just I would say on a one to ten scale. And if you're talking about, you know, historically all these all these guys who have done things, um, I don't know. He's probably he's probably like in like an eight. You know, he's notorious for things that he's done, twisted ankles at the bottom of piles. You know helmet to helmet hits and just just being dumb there's a reason he uh he didn't get drafted we actually took him in the supplemental draft because he was just not smart he had too many on the field issues it's not even the off the field issues that you see guys not getting drafted over and draft stock you know late and things like that it was just the fact that he couldn't contain himself on the field uh which is a ridiculous problem to have as a player um like you gotta you gotta protect yourself and you have to protect other players yeah it's a it's a physical sport uh, but there are rules for a reason, you know. Those rules are set for, like put forth, and uh, you know he was very heavily penalized, and he cost us, he cost us some football games, 
not saying he did it single-handedly. I'll blame that playoff game on Jeremy Hill and the fumble. But I think uh, I think Vontez didn't really help us. He was a good linebacker, but one, he didn't do it long enough, and two, people are not going to remember him because he was a good linebacker. They're going to remember him for all the uh, the extracurriculars that he did, and that's a sad sad reason to know somebody or to remember somebody like that, especially when you're talking about a football player of his caliber. Now I've heard a lot of theories about this. Would you subscribe to the theory that he knocked the sense out of Antonio Brown? Because uh, <laughs> a lot of people have said, after that, that's when Antonio Brown lost his mind. Is that possible at all? I don't know. I, I, oof, he, I don't think it helped. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think when you play the game of football and you're taking like all these hits and things like that, it's hard to, to give it up to any one given play. I think it's more of uh, that longevity aspect of how long you're playing in the league, how many big hits are you taking. You know, it uh, wasn't wasn't a great look. wasn't a great look at all. And Antonio Brown did he did spiral out of control a little bit there. But I think uh, I think he's always going to be AB. I think uh, he he composed himself a little bit better. And whenever that uh, whenever that team started to fall apart with Bell, the, the Killer Bees, they call him Ben and uh, Bell and Brown. I think when they started to like disband, he couldn't take it. Um, he had the, the issues with going to the Raiders and not getting the right helmet. But I think uh, when he got a chance to play again in Tampa, I think he's he's calmed down. He's been he's been injured this year a little bit, but he's still a talented receiver. I think he likes being in the right situation. I think he likes to win, and I don't think he was handling uh, you know trying to get off that team and trying to find a new self, uh, a new place to belong and a new place to flourish in very well. I don't think uh, I don't think one hit is gonna going to cause that, but uh, certainly didn't help his case. I, I don't think it made him any less crazy. We'll put it that way. Reese, thank you for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. And once again, I want to thank Reese for coming on the show, and I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 357th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.